All right, welcome back. Good morning, friends. Good morning. Uh, it's really good to be together with you this Sunday. And uh, this Sunday in the life of the church, we are in the fifth week after Easter. And our text for today invites us to notice something about this period of time right after Jesus' death and resurrection. And here's what we're invited to notice. It is possible for two people to be looking at the exact same thing and seeing it differently. So perhaps as we begin to reflect on that this morning, a question that we could begin with is, when have you and someone else been looking at something really differently? So I'll invite you to think about maybe a movie or a life situation or an event. And when have you and someone else been seeing the same thing from two very different perspectives? So I'm going to give you a moment to turn to a neighbor, just share the first thing that comes to mind, and, uh, and then I'll welcome your responses. Okay, uh, I would welcome you to just call out in a word or a phrase, what did you hear? Uh, what came up for you when you thought about that question of seeing the same thing differently? Someone call it out. Child care. Yes. Something, something else. Relationships. Oh, yes. Lord have mercy. What else? Dogs, yes. Some people are real dog people. Some people are not. Uh, so keep that in mind, whatever came up for you. And uh, I'm going to share with you, a few years ago, my children introduced me to this sidewalk artist named Julian Beaver. Julian creates these massive chalk pieces in public spaces you may have seen so here's a piece, for instance, the way we might see it if we were just walking by. And now, here's how the piece looks in the eye of the artist. I'll show you. We've got one other example. So let's notice that for us to see the piece as the artist intended, we have to be looking at it from the point of view, the vantage point, the spot, the location, the perspective that the artist had imagined we would be looking at it from. And then suddenly, we see the piece the way the artist had hoped we would come to see it all along. So here's the big question we're going to be asking today. What are we perhaps still not seeing about God? What are we not seeing about life, about ourselves? And how would God let us know? That's the question. So for quite a while following Jesus' death and resurrection, the apostles were looking at what had happened. They were reflecting on the same thing, and yet they were seeing it very differently. And then, as we're going to hear, God drew close to Peter and changed how he was seeing. So as we prepare to enter this story today, I want to just invite us to take a moment and maybe take a long, slow breath together. And in whatever words make sense to you, let's just invite God to show us now anything we may still not be seeing, even today. 
as we prepare to enter this story in Acts chapter 11. And here's what we read. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? And then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. So let's notice a few things about this scene. So Peter went up to Jerusalem, the place where the temple was. So it was the center, the seat of religious teaching and authority. And as circumcised believers, those were the people who had committed themselves to that religious teaching, to the theology and authority that they had inherited. And they were criticizing Peter. Why did you go to uncircumcised, unclean people? and eat with them, and spend time with them. And then Peter begins to explain, step by step, something really unexplainable had happened. I was in the city of Joppa, and I was praying. And so let's set the scene in our minds. It was noonday, and as the lunch was being prepared, Peter goes up on the rooftop of the place where he's staying. So he's on the roof. And there Peter has this encounter with God that radically changed how Peter was seeing So before we move on in that story, we might just become curious ourselves, what's the relationship between prayer and our perception of things? Like, how does praying change how we see? So as you're thinking about that in your own life, I'll share with you that about 10 years ago, I had an experience that I really can't explain. So uh, I was attending a trauma therapy training. I'm a therapist. And It had been raining that morning. Traffic was terrible. So I arrived late, and I took the only empty seat in the very back row of a full auditorium. And about halfway through the presentation, the trainer asked for a volunteer to demonstrate the therapy techniques. And a brave young woman raised her hand, and she volunteered her trauma story. And the story she shared was about what happened when she came out to her Christian parents and church. And the things that they said and did to this woman were horrifying. And unfortunately, it was not unlike countless other stories that I had already heard by then. And I would have told you back then that I was affirming, that I understood the meaning of affirmation But until that rainy day in that auditorium, I I didn't fully. I I didn't know how to reconcile what I had been taught in the scriptures with what I was witnessing in the real-life stories of people that I knew. But I'd been praying, and I I had just started practicing contemplative prayer, sitting prayer, listening prayer, and I was asking God to show me anything that I wasn't seeing, anything that I was seeing wrong. I was inviting God to show me, change how I was seeing. And that day, listening to that brave young woman's story, I suddenly saw the problem of non-affirmation differently. It was the closest thing to a vision that I've probably ever experienced, and I still can't really explain it. But at Halfway through the story is like the 
room faded, and it was as if God was just laying out all the dots and how they connected. The scriptures, the Greek, the teaching, the trauma. I just couldn't see it before, and then all of a sudden, in a flash, like all at once, I saw every variable of the problem differently. And when I left that auditorium that day, I was aware that God had radically changed how I was seeing. So, fast forward a few days later, I was, uh, I was talking with Rachel Lee, and we were sitting in a parked car in the parking lot of our old building, Space 12. And we had been friends for a while now, this is like 10 years ago, but we had never talked about the problem of non-affirmation before, it just hadn't come up, and I was a little apprehensive, and I sort of whispered, I'm realizing I've been thinking about this all wrong. These scriptures, people's stories, I've been non-affirming this whole time, and God is showing me I've been wrong. And she said, I feel the same. I'm glad you said something. And from there, things started happening that I could never have imagined. We started out by talking to the pastors, and then it turns out that a whole bunch of other folks at Vox were eager for this conversation, and we started as a community praying and learning and discerning together for several years. And Amy Wolfgang can tell you it was not always smooth. But that process deepened our commitment to our community values of empathy and participation and humility. And in 2019 we decided as a community to leave our non-affirming denomination. And it was a joyful decision because God had changed how we were collectively seeing. James Allison calls this the joy of being wrong, the joy of discovering that we've been wrong about something. And he writes this. My first reaction to the question, how has my mind changed, is to give an account of how I've been wrong. As it turns out, my mind is of little importance. What is important is who has changed my mind. Both the big who and the many, many secondary who's we all represent for each other as we interact during our time on earth. And for me, those secondary interactions occur in the light of the primary changer of my mind, the one in whom we live and move and have our being, the one from whom we may occasionally experience direct graces. So perhaps a practice for us this week might be some form of like open-hearted prayer where we acknowledge there may still be things we're seeing wrong. And we can just ask God to let us know. Like show us where we may still not be seeing something about God, about each other, about how to be the body of Christ together. And Let's acknowledge we may still feel some discomfort over the thought of how much we might still be seeing wrong. (laughs) But I want to invite us to grow comfortable with that discomfort and to trust that when God shows us that we are wrong about something, it will only make our joy more complete. So let's catch up now with Peter. So he's on the rooftop, and it's midday, and as lunch is being prepared, he's praying, and this is what he sees. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. 
And as I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, by no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. And this happened three times, and then everything was pulled up again to heaven. So a few things we might notice about this scene. So Peter says, I saw all these animals, all these things that the religious teachers had forbid people to eat if they wanted to be considered clean. And then Peter hears this voice saying, no, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter wants to be considered good, clean, pure. By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And now God doubles down. (laughs) What God has made clean, you must not call profane or unclean. So Peter has this experience he can't fully explain. Prior to this, he probably would have said he understood the meaning of Jesus' death and resurrection, but he hadn't fully. He didn't know how to reconcile what he had been taught in the scriptures with what he was now experiencing in real life. But he had been praying and listening and inviting God to change how he was seeing. And something about that time Peter spent in prayer, it produced an openness in Peter, an openness to God showing Peter where he was still wrong. So let's look now at how our text wraps up with Peter saying this. At that very moment, three men sent from Caesarea arrived at the house, and the, Peter, the Spirit told Peter to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. So the region of Caesarea was part of Rome, and the men had been sent by a man named Cornelius who was not of Jewish descent. And a person like Cornelius would have been considered unclean. And had this rooftop prayer experience not happened, Peter would still not have understood that Jesus died in order to put an end to the distinctions between clean and unclean. Jesus died to put an end to scapegoating and sacrifice. Jesus died to put an end to marginalization and exclusion. Jesus died to put an end to racism and rivalry. And had this rooftop prayer experience not happened, Peter still would not have understood that part of the miracle of the body of Christ is that it brings people together who otherwise may never have a reason to sit next to one another, to break bread together, to come to see one another's bodies as sacred and as holy as one's own. But the Spirit said, go with them, and to not make a distinction between them and us. And so Peter arrives at Cornelius' house, and he explains that before now, it would have seemed impossible for Peter to think of drawing near to someone like Cornelius. But after Peter's rooftop prayer experience, he says this, God has shown me I should not call anyone profane or unclean. There is no distinction between us. 
Your body is as sacred and holy as mine, and mine is as sacred and holy as yours. Peter was open to God showing him where he had been wrong and how he had been seeing. And not just about things, but people. And that changed everything. So perhaps a closing question for us might be this. Who are we still seeing wrong? Is there a group of people we hold thoughts, assumptions, maybe religious teachings about And are we open to God changing how we see the members of that group? Or uh, perhaps is there an individual, someone that we have decided is unclean, or we know them, there's nothing else to learn about them? Uh, The author Philip Roth writes about how often we get people wrong. He writes, we get them wrong before we meet them, we get them wrong while we're with them, and then we go home to tell somebody else about the meeting and we get them wrong all again. And since the same generally goes for them with us, the whole thing is really a dazzling illusion, an astonishing farce of misperception. And yet, what are we to do about this terribly significant business of other people? So ill-equipped are we to envision one another's interior workings. The fact remains that getting people right is not what living is all about anyway. It's getting them wrong that is living. Getting them wrong and wrong and wrong. And then on careful reconsideration, getting them wrong again. That's how we know we're alive. We're wrong. And friends, I wonder if the person we get wrong most often is ourselves. Those parts of us that we have decided are unclean. Those parts that we have said to God, by no means, Lord, will those parts of my life or my story enter my mouth. What if in our rooftop experiences, God were to draw near and say, those broken parts of yourself, take eat. What if we were to allow God to show us you should not call anyone unclean, including yourself? And if before now it would have seemed impossible to you to think of drawing near to those parts of your own body, your own mind, your own story that you find unsavory. Perhaps this week you might be open to God changing how you're seeing. In order to see ourselves or one another or any part of creation the way the artist intended, we have to be looking at it from the point of view, the spot, the location, the vantage point, the perspective that the artist imagined we would be looking at it from. And then suddenly, we're seeing reality closer to the way the artist 
have been hoping we might see it all along. So friends, may you find ways this week to sit in prayer with God and be open. May each of us be open to God showing us anything we may still not be seeing about God, about life, about one another, about how to be the body of Christ together. And may God begin by changing anything you're still seeing wrong about your own sacred and beloved self. Please pray with me. Loving God, draw near to us and shift our perspective. Move us to the spot, carry us to the location where we might come to look upon everything you have created and see reality through your eyes that we may discover again and again the joy of being wrong. In the name of God who sees us, Christ who makes no distinction between us and the spirit who changes how we see. Amen.